After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that will be our first reading this morning. As Brother Jacob mentioned, we are so grateful for your presence. We have such a good number with us. We do have several visitors with us, and we're grateful that you've come our way. And we hope that you'll come back any chance you have to come and worship with us. Normally, we'd be continuing a series of lessons that we started a couple of weeks ago looking at the book of Proverbs. But this morning, a request was made to put that on hold just for one lesson, and we're going to be looking at a different lesson this morning. Today, we're going to ask ourselves a question. And it's a very important question, and I think even more so for the members here at this congregation, even even more so than maybe those who are visiting with us. But this morning, I want us to ask ourselves the question, would I want to worship here? Is this a group of God's people that I would want to join with, that I would want to fellowship with? Is this a group, a congregation, where I would want to worship God? Before we get into that question, though, I think we need to take a step back and just talk about the importance of local congregations. More and more in the religious world, we're seeing people almost push back against the idea of the need for to join a local church. The line of thinking goes that, well, I can be a good person. I can be a religious person. I don't need to be associated with a certain group in order to do that. And while, yes, you can be you can be a follower of Christ, and, you know, there are examples in the Bible where people hadn't joined a group yet. All the other examples we see is that whenever people would go to a place and they found a group of disciples together, the example that we see is that, yes, they joined together. They wanted to be together, be with other disciples. And I think it's important for us to understand why it's important to have local congregations. In Acts chapter 2, of course, we recognize this is the day of Pentecost. The apostles have received the Holy Spirit. Peter has preached that first sermon. And then we see that 3,000 people gladly accepted the word. They were baptized. Notice down in verse 42, after the baptism, what happened? Well, in verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, It says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Here we see that the believers, the disciples, they gathered together. They fellowshiped with one another. They joined themselves together. If we jump over and keep chapters in Acts chapter 8, For a while, the church at Jerusalem was the only church that we read about in the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 7, we see the stoning of Stephen. And in Acts chapter 8, we see that persecution begins to arise. The church faces its true, first true persecution from the Jews. And now in verse 4, a verse that we looked at many times, it says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So as persecution arose, the disciples scattered. But as they scattered, what did they do? They taught. They preached. 
They spread the gospel to everywhere they went. And what did that lead to? Well, let's jump up a few chapters in chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. If you remember, this is during Paul's first missionary journey. He's gone through the cities. He's preached the gospel. And towards the end of it, now he's going back, and he's going back through all the cities that he visited uh, during his first leg of the journey. And notice what he does starting in verse 21. It says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here we see the example, do we not? In the day of Pentecost, 3,000 believed. They were joined together. They fellowshiped. They had all things in common. When persecution caused them to scatter, they went everywhere preaching and teaching the word. And what we see is that they formed all of these different churches. They formed congregations. Every place that they went, they would gather disciples together. Notice once again, it says Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. And this was just the first missionary journey. Paul would establish churches in, in Corinth, at Ephesus, in Galatia, in the area of Galatia. He would establish churches in all these places. And so each place had a local congregation for the disciples to come together. We understand why it's important to come together, do we not? In Hebrews chapter 10, how many times have we heard people use this verse and say, this is why you should come to church, right? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And that's a very valid point from these verses. But I'm afraid sometimes that we emphasize so much that you don't miss church, that we don't emphasize enough the reason why you don't miss church. The reason we don't miss church is not simply because the Bible tells us you don't miss church. There's a purpose for not missing church. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, notice the writer says, Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now not forsaking the assembling of, yourselves to, to get, uh, of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you understand what I mean when I say that sometimes we emphasize the not forsaking so much? Maybe even too much in some circumstances. Yes, we are not to forsake the, assembling of, the assemblings of the local congregation. But the reason behind it is, I think, the most important part, don't you? Consider one another. Build up one another. Love one another. That's why we don't forsake the assembling of a local congregation. You think about passages like Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia. Notice what he expects them to do for one another. The writer of Hebrews says you love, you edify one another. Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 6 verse 2 to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, Paul is writing to churches in Galatia, right? There was not a Galatians church. It was churches in the area of Galatia. And Paul says, this is what churches do. You help one another. Bear one another's burdens. 
That's the responsibility of the, of the congregation. That's the responsibility you have towards one another. Let's look at one more verse. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the workings of a church. He says in verse, four, uh, verse 15, he talks about the head of the church is Christ. And notice here in verse 16, he says, The head is Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That sounds an awful lot like what we read about in Hebrews 10, does it not? Consider one another, stir up love and good works. Well, that's what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4. A church, a congregation, when they join together, look at what happens. They work together. Every member is different, but every member is important. The local congregation is vital. It's important for our growth as Christians. It's important for the spread of the gospel. It's important for each other. Are we working together? We could look at so many other passages, but I think that from just these few, we understand joining together with saints is a very important thing. It's important to gather together, to worship God together, to sing praises and to pray together. It's important. Fellowship is important. But how do you decide when to join a congregation? How do you choose a congregation? You know, in some places in the world, this isn't a big deal. There's one church and there's only one faithful church and, and that's it. Either you join that church or you start another one. You think about areas like where we live and there's a reason why it's called the Bible Belt, right? I mean, you can throw a rock and hit another church Granted, some of them may be denominational, but you think about all the faithful churches that we have around us. There are so many, you know, we often kind of chuckle a little bit. It's like, you know, well, you've got this church over here and then you've got this church over here. There are so many faithful congregations that you could be a part of. How do you choose that? How do you choose a congregation to fellowship with? Because fellowship is one of those things, and brother, this could be a whole lesson in and of itself. Fellowship is important. Because the Bible teaches us you don't just fellowship with anybody. You have to be picky when it comes to fellowship. Go to 2 John. 2 John. And notice what John writes in verse 9. He says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. I think from this passage, we understand that you don't just offer the hand of fellowship to anybody. You know, we often look at this verse as, well, a preacher coming in or a teacher coming in. And that's a great application, sure. You test and you make sure that what they teach is true. But can I suggest to you this morning that this also works for somebody who wants to be a part of our group. We make sure that they are abiding in the doctrine of Christ, that they believe the truth. Because if they don't, we need to understand and remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember this story, don't you? How the church at Corinth, they had a big problem in their midst. 
Paul says, you have sexual immorality among you that's not even named among the Gentiles. A man has his father's wife. And he says, instead of being sorrowful about it, you're puffed up, you're boasting. He says, that's wrong. You need to purge yourself of that. Because in chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We need to understand that if we allow sin in our midst, if we allow false doctrines in our midst, it can spread. And it can spread very quickly. So once again, fellowship is something that you have to be selective in. You have to make sure that you're fellowshipping with the right people. You're fellowshipping with a congregation that's teaching truth, that is taking a stand for the gospel. Fellowship is not something you take lightly. So how do you choose a congregation? This morning, I hope we understand that there's not a checklist per se. You can't go to the book of Acts and and find a checklist and you sit there and say, well, the church has this, it has this, it has this. Then yes, that's the church I want to be a part of. We don't have a formalized set of requirements. There's nothing that you can point to and say, well, this is what what it has to be. And I think one of the reasons for that is because not every church is the same, right? I'm not saying that we teach different things, but each church is different. And everybody has different needs. There's not a one-size-fits-all. There are some people who like to worship in a larger congregation, right? We here at Lacey Springs, you know, we are not a large congregation. And when I say large, I mean large comparatively, right? I grew up at Pepper Road. Pepper Road for a while was pushing, what, over 200 members at a time. That is a large group of God's people. There are churches, faithful churches, that I've read about in Texas, and, you know, there's three, 400 people. If that's what you want, because some people need that. They need to have that large group. You can find those out there, absolutely. Not saying that we teach different things, not saying that we're different in the way that we look at Scripture, but just in size maybe we're different. You know, maybe you want a congregation that has an older preacher. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good things about having an older preacher. I think about having like, uh, you know, when we have Brother Bill, uh, Bill Hall and Brother Hobo Eubanks and uh, all these older men coming and preaching. That's a lot of wisdom. We kind of joked and we said that when we had that, that meeting, we had, what, over 150 years of gospel preaching experience. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, maybe you want a congregation where there are kids. If you have small kids, it's nice to have people that they can grow up with and have that good influence, right? You get what I'm saying. Every congregation is different. They're all different. So there's not a set that says, you know, oh, it has to meet this in order to be scriptural. There's nothing like that. But I think it's important that as a congregation, this is why I say that maybe this is even more important for the members here. As a congregation, there are things that we can do. There are things that we need to be working on to ensure that if there are people who are considering wanting to join fellowship together, they want to be members here, well, there are some things that we need to make sure that we're doing. Some things that we can do to help people find the truth, find the gospel, and find a congregation that they would want to be a part of. So the question again, what I want to worship here. This morning, there are four questions, I think, that are vital to answering this question. Answer a question with a question, right? You know, I think there are four things that we need to consider that is so important when we think about this question. First thing, is truth taught? 
I think it is so important that if you're looking at a congregation to take a step back and ask yourself, is truth being taught there? Do they have a love of truth? We know passages like John 4 and verse 24, don't we? As Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus tells her that God is spirit. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. We're living in a society that doesn't value truth a whole lot. We live in a society that people want truth to be fluid. It can be changing. You know, you have your truth. I have my truth over here. Why can't all the truths just coexist, right? When we look at God's word, God's word says that there are certain truths that cannot be changed. No matter how much we may want them to change, there are truths found in God's word. There is truth found in God that no matter what we may think, no matter what we may believe, that is the truth. Remember what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus didn't say, I am a truth. You know, Jesus didn't say, I am one of the truths. He says, I am the truth. Are we teaching truth? Just a few chapters over in John 8 and verse 32, Jesus says that the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What do we need to be free from? Free from bondage of sin. Free from the bondage of Satan. Truth sets us free. Going to thinking back to our study in Proverbs, how many times in the book of Proverbs do they talk about truth? Buy the truth and do not sell it. Does the congregation preach truth? Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here Paul is talking about a time where people will not want truth. And he talks about a great apostasy. Apostasy simply means a falling away. There is going to be a time where people fall away. And brethren, Paul is not talking about a specific time, I don't think. Yes, there was a great apostasy during Paul's time, but there have been many times where people have fallen away. And notice one of the reasons why Paul says people fall away. In verse 9, he says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now notice why. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Two important things there in that verse that I want to note. One, love of the truth. Do we love truth? Because the second point, if you don't love truth, if you don't have truth, you cannot be saved. Notice the correlation there. Love for the truth. If you don't, you cannot be saved. Do we teach truth? Brethren, we know that we need to ensure that truth is taught. I've told you before, that is never my intention to ever preach anything that is unscriptural, that is not found in God's Word. And while that's the best intention I can have, that's all it is, is the best intention. I'm fallible. I'm a man. I, I make mistakes all the time. I sin. I mess up. While it may never be my intention to preach, uh, to preach error, that doesn't mean that one day I might, not, I might start preaching error. It's up to you. It's up to me too. But it's up to you to make sure that doesn't happen. Why? 
Because as First John tells us in First John 4 and verse 1, don't believe every spirit that's gone out. You test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. That is one thing that I love about you so much is that whenever we have a, a gospel meeting or whenever I'm up here preaching, you can hear the pages turning in the Bible. That's important. Now I realize, and, and we joke about this, that in the digital age, yes, there's nothing wrong with having an iPad. There's nothing wrong with having a tablet and using your phone as a Bible. I'm not saying anything against that. But there's a lot to be said when you hear the rustling of pages in a Bible. And I'm going to tell you right now that I, I can think of all several different preachers who have been here who have said the same thing. They appreciate hearing the rustling of the pages. Maybe I need to write an app so when you hit the button, it'll, it'll make the sound. But there's a lot to be said for that. Make sure what is being taught is true. In Galatians 1, remember Paul talks about a people falling away for a different gospel. In Galatians 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Your version may, dis may say distort. People who want to change it. Well, how can we know if someone changes the gospel? Well, we have to study the gospel ourselves. We have to know the gospel. There are many times where if you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to something, if something doesn't sound right, bring it up. I don't say this enough in my lessons. I know I don't. But if there's ever anything that you, you want to know more about, you ever question, let me know and I'll be happy to sit down and study with you. You know, I think this goes back to Brother Scott and his invitation a couple of weeks ago. Ask questions. I'm going to tell you right now that if you're ever at a congregation where the preacher, if they have elders, if they don't like questions being asked, run. Because we need to ask questions. We need to people to be willing to ask questions, and we need to be able to answer those questions. Do people pervert the gospel of Christ? Absolutely they do. Do we take a stand against that? I think what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 2 Timothy 4, this is a passage I've told you before that it just, it makes me want to cry on one hand, but then again, it also just fires me up on the other. Remember, Paul is writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. His last letter, at least the last letter that we have recorded for us, he knows his time is coming to an end. And what is Paul doing? Oh, woe is me. Oh, I don't want to die. Oh, I'm so scared. I'm so no, that's not Paul. Look in verse 1. He tells Timothy, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Brethren, there are people out there who don't want to hear truth. And the sad thing is that there are people out there who no matter what you want to believe, what you want to hear, you'll find someone somewhere who will tell you that's exactly what, what's true. If you want to hear this, then you will find someone who will pat you on the back and say, absolutely, you're fine. Do we stand 
for truth. Is truth taught? I'm going to tell you right now, brethren, that if truth is not taught in this congregation, then we should not be part of this congregation. If truth is not taught, and if truth is not one of the most important things that a congregation has, then move on. Is truth taught? Let me give you a second question. Do the members behave like Christians? Think about that. Do the members behave like Christians? You know, it's something when you come together as a group of God's people, and it's like, yes, everybody puts on their their church clothes, right? Their Sunday best. You know, we tell people, we tell our kids all the time, right, you better be on your best behavior. It's like, oh, we, we got to go to church, so, so we got to be on our best behavior, right? Well, how do we act the other six days of the week? Five if you count Wednesday. You know, how do we act when we're not here at the building? Do the people behave like Christians? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do the members conform to the world or do they transform themselves? I think I've told you before, but in my Bible it has the little section headings. Verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12 in Romans, it says, my Bible says, behave like a Christian. And I love that, that heading. I think it's such a great heading, and, and especially what Paul says here. We're not going to take time to read all these verses, mainly for time's sake this morning, but, but make a marker. Go read these verses. But I do want to point out a few things here. Look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Do the members show brotherly love for one another? Do they like each other? Do they want to spend time together? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if a church doesn't like to spend time outside of the walls here, what kind of church is it? And I don't say that crass, and I don't say that to be rude. But if members of a congregation don't like to see each other and spend time with one another outside of these walls, why are we here? Look at verse 11. He says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Is there a sincere desire to serve God? Now, we talked a little bit about sincerity this morning in our Bible class. And understand, sincerity only takes you so far, but there has to be sincerity. Does the congregation want to work? Do they want to be active, doing things? Is there a desire to serve God? Drop down to verse 13. He says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given the hospitality. Are we here for one another? Do we want to help each other? And can I suggest to you this morning that in order for us to help one another, we have to know one another. How am I going to know when someone needs something if they won't talk, if I don't know anything about them? Do we, do we get to know one another? Do we take care of each other? At the end of that verse, are we hospitable? Do we show hospitality to one another? That's a congregation that wants to serve God. Is that what we do? Because I'm going to tell you right now, brethren, that if we are a congregation of people who do not behave like Christians, then we are a congregation full of hypocrites. Do you remember what Jesus says in Matthew 23? 
That's the woe chapter, right? Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He says you're whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Does that describe us as a congregation? Remember in Revelation and the letters to the, Christ, uh, letters to the churches, do we have a name that we're alive, but really we're just dead? Do we behave like Christians? Let me give you a third question. Are they welcoming? Kind of goes along with that last one, doesn't it? Are they welcoming to others? Now, let me suggest to you right now, I understand that choosing a congregation is not a popularity contest. You don't choose a congregation because, oh, they were just so nice to me, and there's more important things. But just because there are more important things, don't overlook this one. Are they welcoming? Do they welcome others? Think about the church at Corinth, right? They had a lot of problems. And one of the problems they had is they were so divided among themselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice starting in verse 10. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Paulus, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Have you ever seen a group of God's people where they're all, we often call them cliques, right? Well, you've got this group over here, and then you've got this group over here, and this group over here. Well, this group doesn't know what this group is doing, or maybe this group is mad at this group. Is that the kind of group, group you want to be a part of? Do we want contentions and quarrels, backbiting and just bickering? Is that the kind of, do you think that's going to be an effective group of God's people? Well, of course not. Paul says, don't let there be divisions among you. Be united. You know, think about in James chapter 2. Remember the problem there that James is condemning? James lets the people that he's writing to have it because they are being hypocrites. In chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there, should come some, if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man with filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Are we welcoming only to certain groups of people? You know, we only want people that look like us, that talk like us, that dress like us. That's who we really want to welcome. You know, someone that, that's not dressed as nice, you know, oh, you know, why don't you sit in the back? You know, do they welcome everybody? Is everyone welcome? We've already read Ephesians 4 and verse 16. But a united body is a body that will grow. A united body is one that will grow. When every part does its job, that body will grow. I'm going to tell you, brethren, that 
even if it's not on purpose, there are times where it can feel hard to, to join a congregation. And I think we often see this, especially in, in smaller congregations, when everybody's related to everybody, right? They're already a physical family, and so they're also now a spiritual family. It can feel a little hard sometimes to, to get into that group, to, to feel like you have real friends there, to feel like you're really part of the group. It can be difficult. And I'm going to tell you that, like I said, it may not be on purpose. People may not realize they're doing that. We need to be a Barnabas. We need to be a Barnabas. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul is converted. He, uh, or Saul is converted, rather. And he joins the disciples in Damascus. Remember, he was going to Damascus to throw them in prison. And he's preaching and teaching and he's confounding the Jews there, proving through Scripture that Jesus is the Christ, so much so that the, that the Jews in Damascus, they want to kill, <laughs> just kill him. So the disciples find out about it, and guess what? They ship him off by night, get him out of town. Well, then he comes to Jerusalem. Now think about what Paul has been doing in Jerusalem. Just a couple of chapters ago, remember he was consenting to Stephen's death? The people who stoned Stephen laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul? Do you remember what, even when God went to Ananias and said, Ananias, you need to go preach to Saul. Lord, have you not heard what he does? And he's here to, to keep persecuting, to persecuting your people? On well, Acts chapter 9 and verse 27, Paul, uh, Saul tries to join the disciples in Jerusalem, right? But they're scared of him. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? It's like, oh, what if this is a trick? What if this is a trap? You know, he wants to join so that he can know who's there, and that way it makes him a lot easier to rest, right? Maybe that's why he's here. Well, there was a man that stood up for Paul. Saul. Not Paul yet. There's a man who stood up for him. His name was Barnabas. Remember what Barnabas meant? Son of encouragement? As a congregation, we need not just one Barnabas. We need to be a church full of, I know this is going to sound really weird, Barnabases. <laughs> you know, we need to be a church full of people who are encouragers. Because if we're not, are we welcoming the way that we should? Last question. Is this a group of people that's going to help or hinder me from getting to heaven? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we helping one another or are we hindering one another from getting to heaven? In 1 Thessalonians 5, when Paul is dealing with the, the idea that, oh, well, if you're asleep and Christ comes back, well, you missed it. Paul says, no, that's not it. That's not what happens at all. And after Paul it describes that we who are alive and remain will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. That at the last day the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise, and all those who are faithful will be called up to meet Jesus. He says you need to comfort one another. He says you need to edify one another with these words. Are we edifying one another? Do we encourage one another? Are we working together? We know what James 2 verse 20 says. Faith without works is dead. Are we working together in the service of God's kingdom? 
Do we take care of each other? You remember in Acts chapter 6, there was a complaint that arose from the Hellenists that said that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What did they do? They fixed the problem. They made sure that everybody was taken care of. Nobody had need. Are we doing that? Do we look out for each other's souls? We read Galatians 6 and verse 2 where Paul says that we need to bear one another's burdens. Well, don't forget what verse 1 says. Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Are we a group that looks out for each other's souls? That we can go to one another, we can talk to one another, and we can raise concerns or or things that we think that we need to do better at. Are we looking out for each other's souls? I understand that everybody will stand before God on their own. Don't take this point to think that I'm saying, oh, well, as a, just because you're a part of a good group of God's people, well, then you can ride on their coattails into heaven. That's not it at all. Philippians 2 and verse 12, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I understand that. I'll stand before God in judgment by myself just like you will. We will not stand there together as a group of God's people. We will not stand as a group. No, we will each stand or fall of our own accord. I get that. But I hope we understand that a church can either help us or it can hinder us. Remember what Paul says in the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2? When he talks about the mindset, he says you need to be unified together. Put others' needs ahead of your own. Look out for other people. Look out for their their interest. Look out for their betterment, not just your own. Is that, a gr- is that a group? As a group, is that what we're doing? That's the kind of group that you need to be a part of. They'll help you. They'll encourage you. Sometimes they'll give you a swift kick in the backside if need be. But they'll help. That's a group of God's people. Take out your songbooks. Turn to the number that Brother Jacob selected. Would I want to worship here? Are we doing everything that we can as a church to grow? Now I want you to kind of notice a, a little play on words here. Are we doing everything that we can I don't think we are. Here's what I mean by that. We're not going to compromise God's truth just to attract members. You know, I fully believe that if we would take God's word and and maybe try to change a few things, that we might have a few more members here. You know, God's word, God's truth on marriage and divorce and remarriage is pretty harsh in a lot of people's eyes. If we'd overlooked that, I bet you we'd get a few more members here. You know, I bet if we would change our preaching and our teaching to be a little bit more entertaining, I bet you we could get a few more people in the seats, don't you? 
But we're not going to change God's truth to fill up you. We're not going to change our behaviors to be more appealing. I'm not going to change the way that I dress, the way that I talk, the things that I do to be more like the world. I'm supposed to be different, set apart, and that's what I'm going to be. Everyone is welcome here. I feel like we we do try to welcome people, and I feel like we do a pretty good job of it. Everyone is welcome. But at some point, if you want to be part of Christ, you have to conform to Him. Sometimes people don't like that. When it comes to a hard decision that's being made, what are we going to do? You know, if we would just turn a blind eye to it, then maybe they wouldn't leave. Maybe we'd have more people here. I'm not going to do that. We all want to go to heaven, don't we? If you didn't, why are you here? (laughs) We all want to go to heaven. But Jesus says that it's a narrow and difficult way and there are few who find it. Let's make sure that we're part of that few. Which path are we walking on? The broad way that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to life? I hope the lesson this morning has been beneficial. I hope it's given us some things to think about. I hope it helps people understand what we stand for as a church. I know I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. If there are questions, if there are things that you'd like to discuss further, I'll be happy to sit down and talk with you. And we'll go to God's Word, and we'll find the truth together. This morning's lesson has not been about how to become a Christian. But if you're here this morning, and if you're subject to that invitation, see, here is water. What hinders you from being baptized? For those of us that are Christians, are we the kind of Christians that we should be? Are we a group of God's people that we should be? Are we helping each other, loving one another, edifying and growing together? This morning, if there's sin in your life, if there are things that are separating you from God, if there are things that you're struggling with, we're here for you. We probably don't say it enough, but I want you to know that I love you. I love each and every one of you. And I want you to go to heaven. If there's anything that we can ever do to help, we'll do it. So this morning, if you're subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing?